Federal Drive is presented by GEHA, Government Employees Health Association, proudly providing health and dental benefits to federal employees and their families. Visit GEHA.com. Agencies have a new set of plays to improve how they recruit, retain, and develop their workforces. The Office of Personnel Management's new Workforce of the Future Playbook is the latest way for agency managers to hire faster, get people with the necessary skills, and keep their employees engaged. For how the playbook can help all federal managers, Federal News Network's Jason Miller spoke with the Deputy Associate Director for Strategic Workforce Planning at OPM, Jason Bark. There are a total of 12 plays that are outlined in there. It's really designed to help agencies implement many of the initiatives that we've already been talking about where we still know there's work that needs to be done, where agencies still are saying, hey, can you help us a little bit more with some of these areas? And so that's what the playbook's really designed to do. It's designed to be that implementation tool. It's got resources for agencies. It's got examples from other agencies that have been successful in there. We talk about Um, call to action, what you could do right now to start implementing some of these plays, and then some suggested metrics on what you could do to be able to measure to make sure that you're being successful. And we really think that, you know, if if these plays are really implemented correctly, it's really going to kind of give that roadmap on how we get to where we want to go. When you're putting this together, how did you kind of decide, hey, 12 is enough? Why not 15? (laughs) Why not 100? I know there's uh, some some crazy number of a of a special hiring authorities out there. You could have done a play for every hiring authority. How, how'd you come to the 12 plays? And maybe give me a highlight of one or two that maybe aren't used at like you, like you think that they could be or should be. We started down this path. You're right. I mean, there, there are numerous different areas that we could cover and we hope to cover them in the future as we move forward. The, the playbook's meant to be very fluid and a living document. And as we continue to, um, work in other areas and and understand where gaps may be in supporting agencies. Then we can start, you know, thinking about other plays and and how we do that and how we build that out. But as we started thinking about this, you know, we started really engaging with our stakeholders and really starting to understand where the barriers were, where the issues were. We started looking at a lot of the initiatives we had and where we hadn't advanced as far as we had hoped to and trying to understand what that looked like. We really engaged with the Chicos. We actually met with them multiple times at both fall forums when they all came together. We asked them through the Chico annual survey. We engaged in work group conversations. So we really started crafting it by taking that stakeholder input and really understanding where we needed to go. And, you know, you talked about some of the plays where we maybe could do better or things that, you know, we want to continue to advance. And I think you're going to really start right at, you know, hiring, you know, we talk about pooled hiring and skills-based hiring. I think skills-based hiring is something that's on everybody's mind. How do we build assessments? How do we, you know, kind of eliminate this self-assessment where people are going in and rating themselves as expert. And then we're getting unwieldy number of of applicants that, you know, puts a strain on our HR workforce, puts a strain on our manager. So let's have some skills-based assessments. Let's go in and let's work through and really be able to get those, you know, ask the right questions, get the right candidates that we can get to the hiring manager to improve that efficiency, to, to really get those people that have the skills that we're looking for. And so we talk about ways that we can do that. And we provide those, some of those resources in there. You know, we talk about pooled hiring is another big initiative that we're working on where we're kind of, you know, you know, one announcement for many jobs, you know, where we're sharing across organizations, we're sharing across the government. So, 
We don't, not everybody has to go out and hire for an HR specialist. We can have a pooled hiring action where we go out and we have this um, base of candidates that have already been vetted and, and qualified and agencies can then take from that pooled hiring and save time and save resources where they have to go through that, where they've already been kind of qualified and are ready right there. You know, we can see an in, see quicker hiring timelines. We can get to those quality candidates. So some of those um, areas are, are, you know, in the playbook that we want to talk about that, that how we start doing that. You know, we talk a lot about AI. AI is really on the, the forefront right now. This is something new we haven't been talking a lot about. And so there's a play on AI and how we start thinking about that and how that's going to impact our workforce. So um, just a couple of plays that I would highlight right there. And one of the things about the playbook that I, I enjoyed, it's not just, hey, here's a play, here's how it's done, but the amount of information you all put together is pretty incredible. Did that happen as you were starting to put this together was the idea is, well, we'll just put a play because we've seen playbooks throughout the years. And, and then did you find yourself just inundated with examples and metrics and, and how, <laughs> how did it all come together? We really wanted it to be comprehensive. You know, we didn't want to just kind of, you know, oh, check the box. Here's a playbook. Hope this helps. We really wanted it to really give those resources and really kind of almost follow a plan that say, hey, if I'm going to do this skills-based hiring, here's what it's about. You know, here's kind of currently what we're doing. Here's where we want to get to do. Here's some agencies that are really doing it well or that have had success at it. And then here's a bunch of tools and and resources. And so as we began, you know, as I said, engaging with our stakeholders and talking about they're like, oh, well, it'd really be great, you know, if this got to a a manager and they said, okay, what what should I be doing now, right? You've given me a lot of information. And that's kind of where the call to action came from. Hey, here's some steps you can take like right away to be able to start implementing this. And then, you know, how are we going to know if it's successful or how, how should I judge how I'm doing? And so then we started, you know, looking at some metrics and some are, you know, maybe a little higher level metrics that a Chico or an agency would look at, but some are metrics that a hiring manager could look at or, um, you know, an HR leader within an agency. We talk about a lot of like connecting the fev, some of those metrics, some of your time to hire, you could be looking at that at any level within an agency or how am I doing or how many, you know, assessments do I have for that I could use for hiring? So we really wanted to make it actionable and really um, something that they really could use, you know, and if they wanted to go back and say, hey, I learned about that, that skills-based hiring. I, I, I'm going to do a hire. I want to know how to do that. I can go right to that playbook and say, hey, here's, some, here's where I start through these call to actions. And here's some agencies have done it well. Maybe I'll call up that agency, you know, and, and have a collaborative conversation with them. So that's kind of how we start, how we built it and how we wanted it to really be used. In the end, you want to make sure people use it. You don't want this to become shelfware. So how are you going to socialize this? I think it's really important, you know, to, to now get the word out there and, you know, that this has been, you know, released. We're using some, you know, some marketing directly get this to the, to the hiring managers so it's in their hands. We've developed a bunch of webinars for each of the plays. We've already announced some of them. There's going to be more coming. That link was out there in in the memo. It's been um, socialized to the Chicos, to our workforce. We've been targeting managers directly. And we're going to have subject matter experts from OPM that are going to be walking through the different plays and how we implement them and what we mean when we say this. And then we're going to, the agencies, some of the agencies that are highlighted in the playbook are actually going to be in the webinar with us. And they're going to talk from an agency perspective, like, 
how we're interpreting this and how we're implementing these plays. And so we want to continue to make sure that we are out there in front. It just wasn't something that we wanted to issue and kind of be done with. We want to make sure people really understand and have those tools, how to implement that. And so we'll continue to look at that and we'll really, you know, continue to be mindful of new, new initiatives that are coming. And if we see that there's a gap or if we hear from Chico's that, Hey, this is another area that we really need help on. We'll make sure that we start thinking about how do we, how do we have new plays that come out, you know, and, and we work closely with this group. We're going to have evaluations, I think, after these trainings where we'll get some feedback and say, what else would you like to hear from us? What else may be missing in there or, or other areas or other topics that are of interest to you or you need support on? And so then we can start working again, you know, on, on a play for that and help them and announce these new plays, add them to our future or our workforce of the future webpage that's out there. Jason Bark, Deputy Associate Director for Strategic Workforce Planning at the Office of Personnel Management. Speaking with Federal News Network's Jason Miller. Check out Jason's Federal Report story and a link to the playbook at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style. Comstetter joined Shane Canfield, WEPA CEO, to reflect on her years of experience leading in the federal human capital space. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Comstetter, Chief People Officer, at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you, great to be here. In your current position at CISA, one of your responsibilities is ensuring a people-first culture. Explain what that is, and, and what's the role of leadership in creating and shaping that culture? Yes, at CISA, really paramount to our culture is a people-first driven aspect, so that we are really looking at how do we accomplish our mission through our people? And in order to do that, we really value our people. We want them to feel empowered and supported and uh, respected, and also that their managers care about them. So well-being is important. Psychological safety in the workplace is important so that all voices and ideas are heard. So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the, the behaviors that we allow and we uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders. So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, so that we get that diverse perspective, we get those different ideas and experiences. And that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission. Yeah, excellent. We're, we're going through a, a culture project at our work. Now. Oh, great. Yeah, it's, um, it's been six months in the making and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down. So I'm, I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Great. Throughout your career, you've piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few, and you have an amazing career. What have you learned or 
how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs? Yes, and I, I, I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance. And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts. So uh, we like to call it networks um, or hierarchies. And we really need to, again, unleash people so they can find those other people who are working on similar problems or have the right ideas. And so I really like to think of our work now in the talent programs being human-centered. It's more about the user and the experience than about the rules and regulations. So although we have to have rules and regulations, certainly in human resources, is that person experiencing what they need and getting what they need for their role at that time? So not so much on the job, but on the person. So for example, we're recruiting. What's the applicant experiencing? Because if they're not having a good experience with our organization from the time we're recruiting them, they're going to go work for somebody else. Same thing with like first-time supervisors. We know they need certain training, but telling them to sit in a class for one week and then hope a year from now they'll remember what they learned to apply, that's not really human-centered. The human-centered is what do they need when they need it? And building modules or, or just-in-time training and bringing that to the people, to that user, as they need it. So that's really, I think, the most important focus of talent programs today in this era to enable the workers to be the best they can be in their, in their roles. Excellent. New thinking. Um, this is always an interesting question. Has there been a time when, as a leader, that you've made a mistake? And what is that? And um, I think most important, what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that? Well, I kind of chuckle because I think as leaders, we have to learn to recognize our mistakes, admit our mistakes, and that they are opportunities to learn. And so uh, I've had to do my own self-reflection on, on making mistakes and when things don't turn out the way that I expected them to. Um, makes me think of a time when I was at the Transportation Security Administration and I was a supervisor. And I was really embroiled with my program. I was the technical leader of it. I understood it. I'd run it for years. And I was making a briefing for a decision that had to be made about this program that was very near and dear to me. And I presented the briefing uh, to one of the very senior people in the agency and I think there are about 20 people in the room. And I had gone through the briefing, answered all the questions, and that leader then said, okay, I'm going to go around the room and get everybody's opinion, and then everybody gets to vote, which kind of set me aback because there were people in that room that didn't have any technical knowledge about my program. She even turned to the executive assistant there, taking notes on the meeting, and said, go ahead, and I want to hear from you. And I realized, in hindsight, 
I had stopped listening. I had been in transmitting all of my knowledge and what I saw to be the right way, and I was not listening to different perspectives in the room because I didn't think that, I didn't value that they were bringing any kind of input to this particular decision. And it didn't go as I had hoped, and I left very disappointed and was busy blaming the senior leader and how that meeting was conducted, that she let all these people have opinions when they didn't know, in my mind, didn't know what they were talking about. And so um, in reflection on that, I realize, and now as I've moved into more senior leadership positions, I realize that was a mistake, that it actually is really important to listen, especially to people who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so that was a mistake I made, and I realized in my own sense I wasn't listening to very different opinions, and I probably should have because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting, getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening. I've practiced making sure there's very different people on um, teams and certainly on committees or councils that we need early careers, people new to the agency, people who haven't walked in the shoes of the technical workforce because they're asking questions we need to hear for these programs to be successful. Excellent. Your career in talent management means your work is very closely tied to people. And even your title, chief people officer, what does that mean to you to be a leader in the federal system with that focus. Isn't that a great title? I just love the title Chief People Officer and I think it's my dream job really to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA at this point in time. We're only four years young as an agency, so we're really still creating who we're gonna become as an agency and what is our culture and what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful. So it's very exciting for me to be in this role with a intentional focus on culture because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including um, any kind of training and learning and career growth, and um, engagement programs and listening programs. That's what's really key for, I think, for our agency and particularly me in this role. Um, I think in the federal government, we got used to doing annual survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey that OPM, Office of Personnel Management, runs every year. So we would do a survey and we'd read it and we'd say, oh, this is the opinion of our people. And then we would do action plans and then we'd roll out certain activities that we would hope would, in would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, uh, ongoing listening programs. So one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions, expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how, how are things going, um, because I, we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role and over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all. 
neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs, but also, like I said, thinking about, can we do this in modules? Can we make it a menu? Can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role? So I think we have such great opportunity, again, with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in, in very new ways. This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure, either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally, that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership? There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life, And I think because, first and foremost, she had a strong family and a strong career. And that's something I always wanted. And I saw her first as my mother, but then I also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia, which was her chosen field. But I always knew her family came first. And as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her that you can have both. You have to to focus on different things through your career um, and through your life, but that you don't have to trade one for the other. Um, I've been married, happily married for 32 years, and I'm a mother of twins who are almost 24 years old. So, And I've had a great career in public service. So I think that having her as a role model has really helped me um, find my own courage, find my own confidence, and find my own voice in how I can prioritize the things that are most important to me so that I can actually balance both family and career. And you're doing it well. You're, Thank you. Uh, having known you now for seven or eight years, yeah. um, and work alongside you. Uh, your passion is infectious. Thank you. Your uh, intelligence and, and the thoughtfulness with which you approach uh, all of these issues. It's, uh, it's an honor for you to be here, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO at WEPA, and until next time, have a great day. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.